Let us pray. May the words of my lips and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. fairly tempted to hit the pause button on our Ruth series and preach on that gospel reading that just happens to be one of my favorite stories in the gospel. And I mean, just to get to hear Roy pronounce the word Lazarus again would be worth it, I think. But that was wonderful. Thank you. With that, let's uh, get to our actual sermon, shall we? Most of us have had a time in our lives when we feel desperate for resolution, where we're hoping for a particular outcome and would do almost anything to get it. It can be a pretty tense time in our lives. That's the sort of situation that we find in Ruth chapter 3. Things have started to turn around for Ruth and Naomi. A, A way forward has been found for at least the harvest season. They're being taken care of. But harvest season is ending. And so the tension begins to mount again. What we see in chapter 3 is how our desire for good outcomes can lead us to make bad decisions. We also see that in the providence of God, he can redeem even those bad decisions for his ultimate purpose. We see how this plays out by looking at Naomi's actions in the light of Ruth's and Boaz's actions. If you've been following along with our series, you probably have a pretty good idea about whose actions are praiseworthy in this story. We start our time by looking at Naomi and how her desire led her to take a very dangerous course of action. Let's start, though, by again affirming what Naomi gets right. In verse 1, Naomi says to Ruth, my daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? For all that Naomi gets wrong in this story, and there is plenty that Naomi gets wrong, we can affirm that at the very least her heart is in the right place. When she talks about finding rest for Ruth, what's behind that is the language of security. It's, it's not a day off work, as nice as that would probably be for Ruth. It's a resting place, a home, a family, a land to belong to. All things that we even today commonly associate with comfort and peace and rest. Ruth has shown herself to be a good and loyal daughter-in-law, being faithful even to her own detriment. And so Naomi desires that life would be a little easier for her from here on out, that she'd be taken care of. It's the same sentiment that Naomi expressed all the way back in chapter 1. It's the reason why she encouraged Ruth and Orpah to go back to their families so that they might have a genuine shot at a decent life with a new family, a new husband. Now, back in chapter one, we spoke about how Naomi trusts the presence of a husband as the source of provision and peace. And in that culture, her conclusion actually made some sense. 
The life of a widow was exceptionally difficult and fraught with danger. And even though we saw at the end of chapter 2 that Naomi's bitter heart was beginning to get sweet again, she's still not fully trusting in the Lord to be the source of peace. Once again, Naomi didn't forget about the Lord's sovereignty, but she's still not fully buying into the goodness of the Lord. It's why she said she felt like she needed to find, that she had to find rest for Ruth, rather than believing the Lord would provide that. The Lord, it seems, was moving a little too slowly for Naomi. At the end of chapter 2, Naomi is encouraged. Right? Boaz has come on the scene. He's a relative and a redeemer. We'll talk in a minute about what that means. But about six to eight weeks pass between the end of chapter 2 and the beginning of chapter 3. And Boaz hasn't done anything. Naomi is thinking he could step in and solve Ruth's no-husband problem. But that Boaz, he's just not stepping up. And the Lord doesn't seem to be moving him. And so Naomi thinks, I'll hatch a plan. I'll get the ball rolling here. She's like the mother who decides to put her very eligible daughter in the path of the handsome eligible bachelor because she just knows they'd be a wonderful pair. It's like the scene out of Downton Abbey or some soap opera, right? She's playing matchmaker. And the plan that she hatches, if we're honest, is terrible. It's just a straight-up bad plan. She tells Ruth, go down to the threshing floor after cleaning yourself up a little bit. Wait for Boaz to be feeling good. Don't let anybody see you, but watch where he goes to sleep. Then make your move. Go and uncover his feet. And then he'll tell you what to do. We can't get into everything that's going on here. You could always come Thursday night. Little plug again. We'll dive a little deeper into that. But the reality is this is a horrible plan. First of all, the threshing floor was an incredibly dangerous place. In a time of rampant sin and social chaos, the threshing floor was like the red light district. Prostitution was rampant. People were drinking and partying. In fact, things are so bad there, Boaz goes to sleep beside his pile of grain so that nobody would steal it. And that's the place that Naomi tells Ruth... To go by herself and just sort of float around. A woman by herself in the Bethlehem red light district, all cleaned up, smelling nice. What could possibly go wrong? Now, some of the language here doesn't really make a ton of sense to us, admittedly. What does uncovering his feet mean? Well, in truth, elsewhere, elsewhere in Scripture, this phrase is a euphemism for illicit sexual activity. It's debated whether Naomi is actually telling Ruth to go and seduce Boaz, but regardless of what was on her mind, she has put Ruth in a terribly dangerous situation. To summarize, one commentator put it this way. 
Because threshing floors lay outside of town, Ruth could have been abducted on the way and never made it to Boaz. Boaz could have taken offense at Ruth's forwardness and refused to have anything more to do with her. Though a man of standing in the community, he could have taken advantage of Ruth and, if necessary, lied about what happened. Who would have believed Ruth's side of the story? And would Naomi have publicly defended her Moabite daughter-in-law? That is just a small sample of how this could have gone wrong. And all because Naomi didn't think the Lord was working fast enough to provide Ruth with the peace and security that she wanted for her. Now, the point here is not that faithfulness means sitting on your hands and waiting around doing nothing, right? We already spoke about that in chapter 2. Ruth doesn't sit around and hope the Lord will provide. She acts and trusts that he will provide along the way. The problem is not that Naomi takes initiative. It's that in her lack of patience, she hatched a plan that wasn't trusting the Lord along the way. This was not a God-honoring plan. It was a rash plan that didn't consider the danger she was putting Ruth in, both physically and in terms of her reputation. After all, who would believe that Ruth was an honorable woman if she was caught in a very compromising situation with Boaz? So don't think that we're supposed to sit on our hands, but... How many times in our haste and urgency to see our problems solved do we hatch plans that don't consider what the Lord might want and therefore cause us to act or recommend actions that are contrary to how God would have his people live? Again, Naomi might have the best interests of Ruth in mind. She did, after all, desire peace and security for her, although it's interesting she wants security for her and then throws her into an incredibly dangerous situation. In her haste, she proposed a way that could have cost Ruth her integrity, her honesty, whatever social standing she had, never mind the physical danger. How often do we do the same sort of thing? In our haste to see a problem solved, we make decisions that are not God-honoring and potentially harmful to others. In our desires to fix things, we act in ways that don't consider the needs of other people. Or ways that our actions could be perceived as uncaring or callous. The story of Ruth is all about God working behind the scenes to providentially bring about an outcome that no one would have expected, but fits perfectly with his plan for humanity. Perhaps then, rather than charging out and creating our own plans, it might be just a little bit more sense to slow down, to take some time and ask God what he might be doing in the situations that we find ourselves in. To pray that he would give us eyes to see how his hand of providence is moving in our lives before we decide how he's moving. It's a great prayer for our own lives and certainly for the life of our church. Thanks be to God. That even when we make hasty, rash, terrible, no good, horrible decisions, he's able to redeem even them. Before we get there, 
we need to just take a moment to talk about this word redeemed. There's a lot of language in our chapter about Boaz being a redeemer. What is that all about? Well, what's in mind here is something called a kinsman redeemer. It was a provision in the law of God that he gave to Israel. You could read more about that if you like in Leviticus or Deuteronomy 25. You see, this provision is another way that God sought to provide care for families in trouble. It states that if a husband died without producing an heir, the brother of the husband was to marry the widow and produce an heir with her. That heir would be raised under the name of, his, of the, the dead brother so that the name of the dead brother would not die out. The family line would continue. And that way, the widow and her family would be taken care of. The property would pass to this new heir. That's why Naomi gets excited at the name of Boaz at the end of chapter 2. Boaz, as we are told, is of the clan of Elimelech. He is a relative of Naomi's dead husband. And so she thinks he could fulfill the role of kinsman redeemer. All's not lost. There's hope. That's where this redeemer language comes from, and it's a big piece of why Naomi hatches her terrible plan. We need to have that in mind if we're going to understand how God redeems this plan. Because here's the thing. Who does the law protect? Israelites, right? That's who it was given to, not others. Well, where's Ruth from? You may have heard it once or twice in the book. She's from Moab. Guess who the law doesn't apply to? Ruth is not covered by the law. Boaz doesn't have to redeem her. On top of that, Boaz is not Elimelech's brother. At no point does the text tell us that they were brothers. He's of the same clan, but that doesn't make him brothers, and nor is he the brother of Ruth's dead husband. Boaz would have every legal justification to just walk away and have nothing to do with it. But what does he do? He acts to see Ruth and Naomi redeemed. God is at work to redeem Naomi's terrible plan by working in the heart of the one righteous man in Bethlehem at that time. Just so happened to be working through the one righteous man. So as we said last week, Boaz is not interested in fulfilling the letter of the law, but the spirit of the law. He sees a woman in desperate need, and he acts on her behalf. In an unusual situation, to say the least, Boaz responds with grace and kindness. We read that he is startled by Ruth's presence, and certainly by her words. Rather than being angry or shooing her away, Boaz pronounces a blessing on her and praises her for her kindness. He promises her that she will be redeemed, either through him or this mysterious figure who's now entered the scene, this other redeemer that we read about in verse 12. A couple things to take away from this. First, God does act to redeem our bad decisions. Because of that, 
We should still care about our sinful decisions and our bad ones, but they should not lead us to despair. They should not cause us to think that all is ruined and life is over. God worked through the gracious heart of Boaz to see Ruth and Naomi redeemed. Friends, when you look back on your own life, the decisions that you've made in those moments when in panic or for whatever reason you've acted sinfully, You should care about it, but you need not despair. You need not think that life is over, that everything's ruined. Rather, it is an opportunity again to turn to the Lord and ask him to redeem even those moments. Our God is a God of redemption. After all, his single greatest act was sending his son to redeem a people. He is the God who takes broken things and makes them whole again. And he can do that even with the broken moments of our lives. Second thing. It is God's desire to redeem all parts of us. I actually see this in looking at Boaz. Yes, he promised to redeem Ruth and Naomi, but he doesn't stop with a promise, does he? Verses 13 and 14, he tells her, stay with me for the night. Then return home in the morning before anyone can see you. He's actually redeeming this situation in two ways. First, he's providing protection for Ruth. We're told that Ruth comes to him at midnight. He'd be sending her home in the middle of the night. And while that might sound like a great plan to Naomi, Boaz knows better. He's protecting her. He's making sure that there's not a single woman walking back to town by herself at midnight. He's protecting her. But he also provides for her reputation. Boaz tells us in verse 11 that people know Ruth is an honorable woman. Well, getting caught lying next to a man you're not married to, even in that day and age, would be a scandal. Ruth's reputation would have been ruined. And so he tells her to go home before anybody can get the wrong impression. And oh, by the way, here's six more measures of barley on top of all the food he's already given her. Booth, uh, Boaz is redeeming this awkward and fraught situation in all of its parts exactly what God wants to do with us. He doesn't want to redeem just a part of us, but the entirety, all of us, all parts of us, physically, spiritually, emotionally. He wants to heal all the brokenness in our lives so that we can see his goodness and know that he is the provider. He's not interested in just one little piece of us. He wants the whole thing. He wants all of us to be made well, to be made his. Last thing to take away. We could look at all of these characters and say they actually want the same end goal, and that's true. Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz all want to see Ruth and Naomi redeemed. But the process by which they seek to obtain it matters. The ends do not justify the means, friends. It is not true that all's well that ends well. Process matters. 
Uh, We could point again to Boaz here in the remarkably honorable way he goes about redeeming Ruth, but we've, we've spoken enough about him. Let's take a look at Ruth. Naomi sends her to the threshing floor under these dubious instructions and tells her to wait and let Boaz tell her what to do. And Ruth is an obedient daughter-in-law up until that last part. Verse 9, he, Boaz, said, Who are you? Fair question, given the circumstances. And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Well, we've got another situation where the language and what's going on here is not entirely clear to us in our culture. I don't know how many of you, when you met the person you wanted to be with, said, spread your wings over me. Not quite how we do it this day and age, is it? That's actually what Ruth is asking for. She's asking for Boaz to protect her. She's asking for Boaz to provide for her. What she is doing is proposing marriage. See, it was customary in ancient cultures that when a man married a woman, he would take his cloak and place it over her, indicating that she was under his care now. That's what Ruth is asking Boaz for. Pretty bold move on her part. Who knows how Boaz could have reacted. It was not common for a woman to propose to a man in that day and age, and certainly not one from Moab to propose to an Israelite, but here's Ruth. There's even more going on here, though. See, the language of being covered by wings for protection, it's used throughout Scripture to describe how God cares for his people. Being covered by new clothes, being covered is language that Paul uses. To talk about those of us who believe in Christ. That we are covered by Christ's righteousness. Naomi wanted Ruth to be redeemed, and so she hatches one of the worst plans of all time. Ruth sought redemption, and she sought it by falling at the feet of her Redeemer and asking for his protection. What a picture of how we are meant to approach our Redeemer. See, the truth is, everyone needs a Redeemer. And actually, deep down, I believe every person knows it. Some of us seek redemption in the things of this world, thinking that it's our job or our money or our kids or our families or our spouse or whatever that's going to provide for it. We end up very disappointed. Others know that redemption is only found by falling at the feet of our Redeemer and asking for his covering care. It is only found at the foot of the cross where Jesus died for our redemption. It is only found through faith in his gracious sacrifice for our benefit. Ruth shows us what it is to act in faith. To fall before someone who by all rights could have just walked away. And had nothing to do 
with Ruth or with us. But through the grace of that Redeemer, she and we find all that we need. When we fall at the feet of our Redeemer, we find one who is able and willing to redeem all parts of our lives. Our past, our present, all so that he can give us a more glorious and hopeful future. We find a Redeemer who will not cast us aside or leave us in despair, who provides for all parts of us. For at the foot of the cross, we find Jesus, who lived and died for us, who came so that he might be our kinsman Redeemer. Let's pray. Father, thank you that in Jesus we find redemption, that in his grace and his love for us, He came so that we might be redeemed. Would you help each of us to fall at his feet, asking for that redemption, praising you that you give it freely, and that we might know that he is with us, guiding us all the days of our lives. In Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.